Happiness is not something that's ready-made. It comes from your own actions. The Dalai Lama. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Deep Gripping Reality, the show that takes you deep, deep within your mind, within your soul, within yourself, within the understanding of reality itself. And I know that sounds all deep and spiritual, and in a way it is, but you know, in all honesty, the world is a deep place. And unfortunately, we live in a very superficial and instant gratification time where other people who we don't know, um, their opinion seems to matter more to us than our own of ourselves or even of our family's opinions of us. Um, that's kind of the nature of social media. That's the nature of um, just kind of the world we live in. And it's always kind of been like that. So today we're going to be talking um, about something very serious. Uh, it's going to get really deep and um, it's not marketing related. It's not sales related. It's not, well, I guess in a way it's kind of leadership related, but um, this may not be an episode for everybody. So there's your fair warning. This Today we're going to be talking about depression. We're going to be talking about mental illness and we're going to be talking about suicide. So um, if you're not really in the mood for one of those uh, topics or, or a day like that, um, if you're not in the mood for something serious, then this may not be the right podcast for you today. This is not the typical thing that I cover. So feel free to pop onto one of my other podcasts or skip ahead to the next one if this is an archived uh, episode. But um, you've been warned. This one, this one's uh, going to get personal. It's going to get deep. So um, stay tuned, please. It's important. on um, a little something that not a lot of people know about me. And it, it's funny because this is something that I've talked about um, publicly not very often. Um, not a lot of people know this. Not even a lot of close people know this. Um, when I was about, I want to say 13 or 14, um, I got really depressed. Um, and depression is real. And when you're at that age where your brain is still forming the chemicals that help you figure out how to deal with life. Um, it, it, it's more than a, a, a mental pain and anguish. It's, uh, it's physical and it's nauseating and it's crippling uh, and it's dark. And your brain feeds on chemicals. You know, they say that um, the reason that toddlers are naughty is because they want attention and they don't care if it's positive or negative attention, as long as it's attention. Um, and they kind of associate the negative feelings with bad things, but they also, their higher brain tells them that it's attention of some kind. And I think that when you're a, a young teenager, a preteen teenager, um, and you're really developing those feelings and those emotions, and you're feeling it deeply, um, you take those emotions out in different ways. Now, some kids get into bullying uh, because it makes them feel powerful, makes them feel strong, and, and often those are kids that have a serious uh, negative impact in their life and so they're trying to take some power and they don't realize that's what they're doing um, and they also don't realize that if they can be a positive influence in people's lives too and that's a powerful thing uh, and other kids 
start getting crushes and, and they get them seriously and they get them hard. Um, I, I keep saying kids, but it's a teenager thing. I, I was at a point in my life where I knew my parents cared about me. I knew my family cared about me, but I didn't believe that I was lovable. I didn't believe that anyone would ever love me for me, that anyone would see me. There were many times when I was sitting in study hall and, and, and I would, um, I would imagine going up and grabbing the microphone because they had this podium with a microphone that, that uh, fed to the intercom system up above, the, the speaker system. And it was probably not even turned on, but I didn't know that. But I, I had fantasized about going up there and saying, if anybody gives a shit whether I live or die, speak up now. If anybody would notice if I was gone tomorrow and never came back, please say something. But I never did that. And I'm sure that somebody would have had the courage to stand up, but at that age, like I said, you care about what other people think about you. And so there's a good chance nobody would have said a single thing. And that would have been really crushing to me. That would have been crippling to me. But I believed very, very deeply, and I don't know how I got to this point, that I was completely unlovable, that I would never find love, that no one would care if I lived or died, that I could disappear into nothingness and no one would even notice. And I don't... I don't know. It was it was a deep and dark time in my life. And it's funny because... Oh, I say funny. It wasn't funny. It's frustrating because I know now as a parent that my parents did care. My dad cared so deeply and so did my mother. My grandparents cared. My aunts and uncles cared. And I had friends who did give a shit. But, you know, you're very... I don't want to say selfish, but you're very um, self-conscious at that age. And so I decided one day I was going to take my life. Um, I didn't write a suicide note. Um, I, we have these big, huge viaducts, big bridges that go across train tracks and across a, a busy road in my town. There's three of them. And two of them have fences, uh, chain link fences that go up the sides. Um, and I knew I could have climbed to the outside of that, but I was afraid somebody would see me and call the police and stop me. So the middle one, does not have any kind of that. It has a banister, but that's about it. And so I climbed up, um, in the, in, and I, on my way, I was going to go to a friend's house, and I decided to go for a walk up onto this bridge, and I stood on the railing, and I felt the wind, and the idea was that I was going to, I was going to nose dive. I was going to, I figured if I landed on my head, then I would break my neck, and I would die. And I, I, I was probably right. But then a, a thought crossed my mind. And that was that I had promised a friend of mine that I would stop by and watch a movie um, with him. And I thought, this bridge is going to be here tomorrow, and I don't want to die a liar. You know, I made this promise to him, and I don't want him to think there's anything he could have done differently. You know, this bridge isn't going anywhere, and I, I, can, always, I can always do it on my way home if I want to. And so I, I climbed down, and I literally stood up there for, I mean, it, it was probably only a few seconds, but it felt like hours. And nobody noticed. Well, if they did, they didn't say anything. Cars flew by, cars were flying under me because there was train and then right next to it was roads. And I knew I could have dropped down and one of the cars would have hit me. And I didn't care that it was going to, you know, probably kill whoever I landed on. I was more worried about ending my own life. And so I got down and I went and I watched this movie with a friend and the movie was called The Crow. And for those of you that don't know, it was Brandon Lee's last film. He tragically died uh, due to an accident while filming that movie. And in The Crow, it's a story about how love is stronger than anything. It's, it, it crosses all boundaries. It, it, 
uh, not even death can stop love. And um, this, these people were tragically taken, um, you know, right before they were going to get married on Halloween. And so this guy comes back from the dead, and the only way that he can rest and, and truly be with his with his beloved is by, you know, getting revenge on those who wronged him. And that was the the whole premise of that to me really spoke to me, which was, you know. There is love out there, even if I don't see it. And so that, that kind of planted a seed. I didn't really get the message fully yet. So I, after the movie, I was exhausted. So I just wanted to go home. Um, I went home and I slept. And I was still in depression, but that message of the crow kept ringing in my head. The next day, um, after school, I had promised another friend that I was going to listen to an album that he had gotten. And the album uh, featured a song called One by Metallica. And I'd never even heard Metallica before, let alone the song One. And to this day, it's my favorite song. It's, it's a song about a guy who uh, comes back from war and he has no arms or legs and he's so miserable, he, he wants to kill himself. He wants to die, but he can't even communicate that that's how he, what he wants. There's no way for him to really communicate. I mean, here's a guy who has been through hell who has been through war, who was just a, a kid who, who went off to war and, you know, he didn't even have a choice. He just did it and he ended up, you know, losing his life. And as a result, um, not only did he lose his life, like he didn't actually die. He was just trapped in this prison, which was his own mind. And I thought, I have arms, I have legs, I have the ability to take my own life. I also have the ability to live. And I realized in that moment after hearing this song with the remnants of the movie in my head, I realized that there's a lot more to life than what I had lived in the short time I had been on the planet. And so I decided I wasn't going to do it, that, that there was still time um, to change things around. And I went back to school and I, I, I was still sad, but I wasn't deeply depressed. And I started making an effort and I started trying to talk to people. And the thing that I didn't tell you at the beginning here was that I think one of the catalysts that made me think about climbing up on that bridge was that there was a bully at school who threw me up against uh, a wall. He put his arm on my throat, threw me up against a wall, and I was so angry and depressed. I said, if you're going to do it, frickin' do it right. I didn't say frickin', though, obviously. And I moved his hand down over my Adam's apple, and I said, but you better choke me out because if I get back up, I will kill you. And it was the first time I'd ever stood up for myself to this bully or any other. And he, he kind of looked at me funny and he could see the look in my eyes. And I think he knew that I meant it, that he needed to either kill me or I was going to destroy him. I was not messing around. I wasn't in the mood for this, that, that, this, that day. And he let me down and he goes, you're all right, Edelman. And he smacked me on the shoulder and he walked off and he never bothered me again. He never bullied me. He never talked to me. He just, he just let it go. And you know, this, this is the kind of interaction that happened every day then. And it still happens today. We as a culture, um, possibly because those who have been bullied and those who were bullies have grown up and now have kids of our own, we understand that bullying is a thing. But what wasn't around when I was a kid that is now is the internet. Cyberbullying is super strong. It's, it's very much out there. And you're a troll when you're online. You can go and, and be this horrible person and not have any accountability for it. You can say horrible things and not have any accountability for it. And somehow those who hear these messages of hate and of, of just vulgarity, you know, think that they're tailored directly toward them. They think that it is personal. They think that they do know you or, or whatever. And it's just, 
it's a horrible situation, um, but it is what it is, and that's that's what the world we live in is. So, so if you are in pain, if you are struggling, know that there are people out there who know that your struggle is real. They, it's not imagined. It's not. It's not fake. It's not nothing. Your pain is real, and it's not your fault. There is something going on in your mind where your brain is is feeding off the negativity, whether it's the negativity around you or it's the negativity that you are creating for yourself. That energy feeds itself, and it's a self-sustaining, self-containing monster. And it grows, and it grows, and it grows. And you might find yourself lashing out at those you care about, lashing out at those you love. You may find you're having issues holding on to your anger, or you're snapping, or you're just you're not yourself, and you know it. You know there's something wrong, but you don't know what to do about it. Well, first start writing it down. Get it out there. Even if you have to do a, a podcast like this or anything, get it out there. Start talking about how you feel, and then reach out to other people. It's not. They call it a cry for help, and I don't think that's the right term. I think it's it's asking for engagement. We, as a human species, just want to feel validated. We want to feel like our thoughts and our opinions and and our philosophy. We want to feel like we matter, like we can leave an impact. And when we don't feel that, it's 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 crippling. And here's the, okay, so we I I don't know if you're familiar with this. They talk about it a lot in business school. It's um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs and. You know, it goes from shelter and food and your basic physical needs all the way up to self-actualization, which is where you find your truest self. But there's one for love, and there's one for you know feeling accepted, um, camaraderie, that sort of thing. But what people don't tell you is that Maslow made that pyramid and that hierarchy when he was studying mental patients in a mental asylum. He, that whole philosophy was <laughs> was built on studying mental patients and people with mental illness, and what they saw, what he saw as their main, most basic fundamental needs were. And somebody read this and thought, you know what, this applies to to everybody. This applies not just to those with mental illness, but we all want to be our best selves. That's self actualization, and we just don't, we may not see it yet because we're we're still struggling with trying to get our basic needs met. So, you know, we all mental illness is rampant. And we don't like to admit our own weaknesses.、Uh, as a species, we don't like to admit when we're wrong.、Um, and so, I really admire those who can take accountability and say, "You know what? I messed up." Without casting stones and saying it's so and so's fault or pointing fingers elsewhere, those who can take responsibility for their mistakes and say, "You know what? I screwed up. It's not okay. I'm going to see if I can fix it. And if I can't, I'm going to at least learn from it." I'm gonna try and make it right. I'm gonna try and avoid it happening in the future. I respect people like that, and I try to be somebody like that. And I I don't always succeed. Some nobody some nobody wants to admit they're wrong, you know. So sometimes I don't、uh, acknowledge when I'm wrong because I don't see it. I think I'm right, and I don't slow down and look at somebody else's perspective, which is something that you have to do.、Um, now, what does all this have to do with mental illness? Well, I, I struggle with ADHD. I struggle with ADD. Um, and as a result, I sometimes get off topic. My brain goes 200 miles an hour, so I think faster than a lot of people.、Um, and I'm on to three topics later when most people are still thinking about the one topic. One of my nicknames in in high school and throughout my life with my friends has been random because they think it's random, but it's all connected to me. And so I have to realize that neurotypical people, people whose brains don't have ADHD or ADD, think differently. They process information differently. And those with ADD sometimes, if it goes undiagnosed, 
they do struggle with depression. They do struggle with um, sometimes OCD and um, little bits of, of autism. And you know, there's like nine different types of ADD. It's not just about physical hyperactivity or, or uh, sometimes it's emotional hyperactivity or mental hyperactivity. And, you know, that's my issues and I deal with them and I deal with them. I don't let it impact my professional life. I don't let it impact my personal life as much as possible. Um, I let it, I, I find, I think of it as a superpower and I use it to flare my creativity and I use it to write blogs for my company and I use it to, you know, do these podcasts and I use it to do videos sometimes or, or create cool levels on Mario Maker with my son and, and daughter uh, or do imaginative stories with them. Um, but because of my, the struggle that I went through when I had serious depression when I was a teenager, um, my daughter's 11. And she's very conscientious about what other people think about her. She's she's worried about what she's wearing, but she she also has a sense of individuality. She likes wearing dark clothes. She she likes to think of herself as like a baby goth, like a little bit goth. Uh, but she knows you know she's not into the whole deep depression mentality that sometimes accompanies that. She just likes the style. Um, and she is a social person and she's sociable, but you know she's not always outgoing. So she is a little bit of her mother, a little bit of me. And I'm just, I'm, I'm very worried about when she, cause she doesn't have full access to the internet. She watches a lot of TikTok and she watches some videos on YouTube, but, um, we don't, she, and she has a Facebook account, but she doesn't ever use it. Um, and I'm kind of happy about that. And all of these things are very managed and, and monitored by myself and my wife, because we do want to make sure that she is having the best, um, interactions possible. We know that when she's online talking, gamers like to talk shit. They like to talk smack. And so, you know, we, we worry about that. We make sure she's only playing with kids, but here's the thing. Kids can be cruel because they're hiding behind, um, a, a name, you know, and, and they don't have any accountability there. So, you know, she just, she stays away from toxic people and that's a good thing. I just don't want her to suffer from depression like I did. And I know that my wife did and my son you know, he's only five. He's got a lot of life to shape ahead of him. And I want to make sure he doesn't turn out to be a bully, that he's somebody supportive. So, you know, it's a very, it's a very big responsibility to have to shape lives and realize that if, if I died tomorrow or my wife passed away tomorrow, my depression or her depression would have an impact on our children who are dealing with their own emotions. And I know that's a depressing thought, but you know, what you do, there's always there's always eyes watching you about the same time as I went through this whole suicidal thing, we were supposed to come up with a quote or find a quote in one of my homework assignments. And I couldn't find one that I liked. Everybody was like, Nike, just do it. Cause it was about the time they came out with that slogan or it was big around then. And my response, I, I thought of this and I thought as a child, the eyes of the world seem to be upon you as an adult, your eyes are upon a child. And when I turned that in, the teacher didn't believe that I came up with it. She thought I was a liar. And I ended up having to go to the principal because I, because she thought it was plagiarism. And it wasn't. It was literally something I came up with. And I thought of it as, you know, <laughs> when you're a kid, everybody's telling you no, no, no. And everybody's watching everything you do. But then when you grow up, you're the one telling other people, uh, you're telling kids no, no, no. Or, you know what I mean? Like, that's what it was at the time. And now I look back and it's, you know, as a child, the eyes of the world seem to be upon you. In other words, you're craving attention and you're, you're, you're doing everything you can to get attention. 
Um, but then as an adult, your eyes are upon a child, which is your future focused. You're thinking about the impact you're leaving, the legacy you're leaving to your kids. Um, and that matters. So the whole point of this was to tell you that if you're suffering with depression, if you're suffering with anxiety, if you're suffering with stress, you're not alone. There are good support groups out there. There are good people out there. Um, if you have ADHD, there's an amazing, amazing uh, YouTube channel called How To ADHD. Check it out. Um, it's helped a lot of people, but prepare to cry because there's some things that are going to hit home with you. Things that you thought were unique attributes and, and um works about yourself are actually shared with a lot of the tribe, a lot of those of us out there with it. So, you know, know that how you feel is real. And we feel things a lot deeper than most people. If you have ADHD, I think, um, not saying that anybody else is, you know, shallow, but you know, our brains are triggered by, by pleasure or displeasure response a lot heavier than others. So I don't know. I think that there's a national suicide prevention hotline feel free to um, use it if you feel you need to. Um, also, feel free to reach out to me. I'll talk to you. I know you don't know me. I don't know you. But you can leave me a voice message right here on Anchor. Um, or, or just reach out. Reach out to somebody. Reach out to anybody. Talk. Because you want to be heard, and there are people who will listen. You just have to find them. And I know that seems like a lot of work, and I know it seems like it's not fair. But believe me, it's worth it. In the Bible, it says, this too shall pass. And I try not to get too biblical or too religious, but God has you on the planet for a purpose. And if you don't believe in God, there is a reason you are here right now in this time, in this space. And there are people who are watching you. And I don't mean watching you like Big Brother. I mean watching you and learning from you. There are people who admire you. And your presence on this planet matters. You are going to, you are, you are, it is inevitable. You are destined to leave an impact in this world. And you get to, to determine whether that's a positive or a negative one. Thank you for tuning in to the Deep Gripping Reality. I know this was a deep episode. It was very heavy. Um, if you felt felt like it was valuable for you, feel free to share it. I do want to hear your story, so feel free to leave me a voice message if you'd like. Um, if not, that's okay too. So tune in next week. Uh, next week, well, tune in to the next episode, which will probably be a lot more light and cheery. Um, it will definitely not be about this subject. Um, but you never know what we're going to dive into next time. It's usually something sales or marketing related because that's kind of something I'm super passionate about. Um, but you never know. Um, the whole purpose of this podcast is to uh, dig deep. And, you know, I, I was going to name it originally. I was going to name it Steve Speaks. And it was going to be like Steve Speaks to whoever the guest was or Steve Speaks about. But then I realized it's not about me. It's about everybody else. It's about you, the audience. So thank you very much for tuning in. Hopefully we'll uh, chat again soon.